Well, there are sermon notes in the bulletin if you'll pull those out. If you haven't been with us, we've been studying this matter regarding end times. How close are we to the rapture? And so pull those sermon notes out. Turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 if you haven't already. And this will be our first passage that we're going to look at. And this is also, I'm looking at this as our last study on end times. This is a study that we did after this whole COVID mess started. We looked at the riots in the streets. There has been unrest in our country for a while now. Not in our country alone, but in the world. And, and so we started looking at matters regarding end times. And I would encourage you, if you haven't been with us, to look at the YouTube videos that we've done, the podcast you can listen to. We've been looking at this matter because... I truly do believe it's near. Now, we're studying the rapture, the event where Jesus Christ comes back for his church prior to the tribulation. And I hope this study has helped you get a good understanding of how the end times work. I've tried to focus on the rapture, but then talk about other end time matters so that then you can begin to piece out the chronology of how it works and We've worked through an outline that sort of looks like this. And so as we look at this, I want you to remember the reality of what 4, 4, and 5 say. As the Apostle Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Remember, he's writing from prison. He's writing from a place of incredible despair. He could be discouraged, but he wants people to understand he knows God's sovereign. That was a big part of chapter 1. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle or forbearing spirit be known to all men. We don't have to push and achieve and, uh, and, and overrun everyone else because the reality is in the end, we win. And the very next line is, the Lord is near. I think some of you in the King James, have King James Bibles, the Lord is at hand. He's near. And other passages in scripture clearly say he's coming again. All these time, all these End time studies are because we are truly living in unprecedented times worldwide. Events are happening worldwide that have never happened before, and some people are wondering, is this the end? And as we have said, we can't set a date, but we realize that as we look at events that are in, whoops, 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 as we look at events that are in here, that are coming together now, it makes us like, wow, this, uh, this is really getting, from an apparent standpoint, close. And so, as we've been studying, there's a good reason to be looking at these matters, hoping that we are gaining an understanding of how to be better prepared to meet the Lord. And I want us to be ready. I want us to be people who are ready to meet the Lord. I don't want us to be like the arrogant groom. Here's a joke. Don't be like the arrogant groom. Do you ever hear of the arrogant groom? The arrogant groom was a man that was getting married and his bride said, hey, we should write our own vows. And the pastor came and said to the bride and groom, okay, you guys are gonna write your own vows and do you need any help? And the bride said, yeah, I could. I could use a little help. But the groom said, nope, I don't need any help. I know exactly what I'm gonna say, what I'm gonna do. And the pastor says, well, all right, but typically I usually help the couples write those vows. 
nope, nope, I can do it. I'll be prepared. Day of the big wedding came. Beautiful ceremony. Bride comes down. Ceremony progresses really wonderful. Middle of the ceremony, the pastor now turns and says, I'd like you two to exchange your vows. And the arrogant groom, he turns to and says, you're first. And the arrogant groom, who wouldn't listen, goes, great. Your vows, the pastor says. And the groom looks out and says, A-E-I-O-U, and sometimes Y. See, he heard vows, vows, vows. And he didn't hear right. <laughs> See, give you your vows. And you think you're hearing and you think you're going to be prepared, but you don't. And it was a big embarrassment. And he wasn't ready. And instead of being prepared and acting appropriately in the middle of a ceremony that made so, made so much, he got embarrassed. Do you know the Bible talks about believers facing Jesus Christ and being embarrassed? We'll read a passage about that later. I don't want you guys to be embarrassed. I want you to understand whether I am even wrong on this pre-rapture and all this other stuff, that it is clear that we are all going to meet Jesus Christ. Are you prepared? Are you ready to give an account for your life? And so we have to remember that Jesus Christ is coming again. I do believe we're going to escape the wrath I believe passages like 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says we're not destined for wrath. Revelation 3, 10 says that we're going to miss the hour of testing that comes upon the whole world. Those are the key passages. But if you take your sermon notes, when you look at your sermon notes and you flip it on the back, so far already I've given 10 reasons that I think we are close to the rapture. Those 10 are all events when I look at the, this the end times, the years of the tribulation that are events within that situation, within the tribulation. None of those have to happen for Jesus Christ to come back for the rapture, where he comes and he takes the church and he meets us in the air. None of those do, not any of those 10. We could be raptured and then all of them could fall into place the next day or the next hour. But what I'm excited about is that if you look through all of those 10, those are events that are starting to come together now. Some are here. Some are just beginning and working together. So that as you went back and you would listen to those messages that I gave, you'd say, wow, this is really exciting. If you just had one of these, you could say, we are really close. But we're seeing all 10, and today we're going to go through the last four and so if you will, open your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 14. Revelation 14, and here we come to the 11th reason, fill in the blank. We are seeing a rightness of sin on a worldwide basis. Now let me explain, because I think a lot of times this is a reason that is missed, okay? The key word here is ripe. And it's an idea of being finished. It's an idea of coming to a rightness. And the key part is that in end times, sin becomes incredibly ripe. When you come to Revelation chapter 14, it's in this interlude in the book of Revelation. Remember the book of Revelation, as it plays out, the judgments are the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. 
And I believe those are chronological. I believe those take place in the tribulation. And yet there's this section in chapters 10 to 14 that there's a stop. And the author, John, gives us some big picture items as to what's been happening. And if you come to Revelation chapter 14, let's look at verses 14 to 16. And so John writes, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. I believe this is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is going to come back. It's the same image, very similar to what we'll see in Revelation 19. He comes back on that white horse. Verse 15, And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to, to reap has come, because the harvest of what? The earth is ripe. Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. You have to understand, remember, in the seal judgments, one-fourth of the earth dies. In the trumpet judgments, one-third, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 25, if he doesn't come back, the entire world would have been killed. But we know, we're going to see in, in Matthew 25, that when he does come back, he is going to judge every unbeliever, and every unbeliever will be killed. The picture here is in where the reaper is bringing God's wrath. And when they talk about that line at the end of verse 15, that word ripe, ripe is like the ripeness like an apple gets ripe or a harvest gets ripe. And I don't know if you've ever eaten an apple and it's not ripe, it's not ready, it doesn't taste very good. It could be too young or it can be too old. But if it's just ripe, it's just perfect. I believe what the picture here is, is that the world, God knows when sin has come to a place of absolutely being totally ripe. Sin has reached its ripeness. It's, it's come to a fruition like it never has before in world history. It's fully completed. Now, some of your Bibles might even have the expression, it has become dry. The, the Greek word here means to be ripe like a fruit is ripe, or it could be lean, means like a, a, a harvest that has gone past that stage and is fully dry. I think the ripeness is the right usage. Either one would work for the image, like if it was just the dryness, it, he comes in to take it all away. But I believe it's more is the picture of the harvest and its readiness. I think I would be understanding it properly, that it's complete. My point is, and I'll show you in a second here, how I look at the world, that I think sin is really ripe. I believe this is a concept that was rooted in the Old Testament. The idea of sin coming to a place where it's complete and God said, now it's time to judge. This is a passage that I think is very important. So you see these connections. Turn back in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 15. And in Genesis 15 is when God is laying out the covenant. It's where the main focus is, where Abraham is being given the covenant And it's being sealed, it was sealed, where I believe God 
cut the two animals and walks between them. And when you come to Genesis 15, all of that has occurred. It was the picture of the unconditional covenant, of the Abrahamic covenant. But then you see in verse 12, a passage that could be easily missed. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, who will become, we all know, Abraham. This is Genesis 15, verse 12. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. It's one of the greatest studies of the entire world history because we know that Israel will go into the land of Egypt and when we have the exodus, and I know this isn't in the movie, a lot of people get their information from the movie, The Ten Commandments, it, I, I don't think it's in there. It's to the very day that God said you will leave Egypt, that they leave Egypt. It's exactly 400 years, but that's not the study here. Verse 14, but I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions, which Israel did. They judged Egypt, and they took their possessions. As for you, you will go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here. For the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Now, it doesn't mean rightness, but it's the very similar concept. It's a synonym for finished. And you, you sit there and you say, what are you talking about? Why is it going to take 400 years? Guess who's the judge of this? God is the judge of this. He knows that what's going to happen is these pagan people that are along the way, the Amorite sin has to come to fruition. And God is saying, however, their sin is working out. Their sin that for foreign gods and the sin in the way that they are manifesting, maybe even child sacrifice, it's all coming to fruition. And when it, I send you out of Egypt along the way, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you wipe out the Amorites. And if you would study Numbers chapter 21, that's when it happens. And sometimes people say, well, I don't understand. Why did God allow God, these people to be wiped out? Why did a judgment come? Well, it's because God obviously knows who, who's with him and who's not, and, and he can punish sin at any time. But it was something that you have to understand that this judgment came upon people who were fully, fully expressing their hatred for God. They're living in sin. And God, in Numbers 21, I'm not going to have you turn there, wipes them out. We'll go back to Revelation 14. And I just want you to remember this concept because what I'm seeing is we're seeing a rightness of sin on a worldwide scale. And you say, well, Mike, I know there's a lot of older people that I've known in life and they're always saying sin is getting so bad. Sin is so bad, boy, you know, and I, I'm going to be 60 in the next year. And I can say back in the 60s, life wasn't the way it is now. Yeah, things are definitely getting worse. But I want to just bring up a few statistics and a few things for you to understand. There's an, there are two approaches I want you to look at. Number one, I do think we're seeing a mass exodus from what we understand as mainline Christianity. I found an article, it's called The World's Newest Major Religion, called No Religion. Secularism grows. Atheists and agnostics are trying to expand and diversify their ranks. And the article goes on to talk about how in England, the church of the 
Mennonites there have closed their doors forever. And the article goes on to say that basically you wouldn't expect churches to be closing their doors, but it's a worldwide trend. Denominations are closing their doors. They're not seeing mass people even to sustain churches anymore. The article goes on to say the largest group, the fastest growing group in the world is the religious group called nuns. People, not nuns, N-U-N-S, but nuns, N-O-N-E-S. The religiously affiliate, unaffiliated, the article said, called nuns are growing significantly. They're the second largest religious group in North America and most of Europe. This is a 2016 article, so it's gotten worse. In the United States, nuns make almost a quarter of the population. In the past decade, U.S. nuns have overtaken Catholics, mainline Protestants, and all followers of non-Christian faith. There's, this is when I say, when we talk about sin, when people are living in sin, and we're talking about the, whether it's the sexual sins or the crime, it all is going to be rooted in the sense that they are not having any religious restrictions at all on them. And if this is growing and growing and growing, and it's mainly grow, the, the nuns are growing in America and in Europe, it, that's where the focus is of end times. And I tell you this because we have to be aware of what's happening. We continue to present the gospel here at Christian Fellowship Church. We share the gospel. We're not seeing mass numbers come to faith. And really, no one is. And when I talk about large churches and the mega churches in America, they're not seeing people come to faith. They're often just seeing people move from church to church to church. But the reality of it is, is the nuns, the people who are non-religiously affiliated is growing. So number one, if I'm looking at this, why do I think sin is coming to a place of rightness? We're seeing in the world people not be affiliated with church anymore. And then second, you have to have your head in the sand to not see how good is called evil and evil is called good. And there's a manifest manifestation of wickedness like I've never seen. And yes, if I could put my old man hat on right now and say, oh my goodness, this wasn't like this in the 60s, I would tell you absolutely it has not been a good past four decades it has been incredible since the 1960s. I should say five decades. I mean, it's absolutely been intense. And if I were to start listing out all the areas of where sin is being manifested, I think you might all be surprised with my first one. I, wouldn't, I would go to number one where the, the most horrible, most horrific area of sin for the family has been the destruction of the father. Because what we are seeing is that men are no longer supposed to be the leaders in the home. And you take the leader out of the basic core social structure that is supposed to make up society, and you put him and make him a fool, you make him an idiot, you make him not the leader, you make him to be not even necessary in a home where it's totally appropriate to have single-parent homes because we don't need dads anymore, we don't need dads to be the leader, we don't need anybody to follow the father anymore then absolutely we are seeing the breakdown of society. And, 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 and it is so much a pervasive truth today that I don't think many of you would have even have thought that that would have been my number one reason. It, it is, you have to understand, we are living in a society that has totally destroyed the role of men. And, 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 and because of that, our families are destroyed. 
We have watched them destroy family after family after family. Women are told that they can live independent of men. Men are supposed to live independent of women, let me tell you that. But it's the push that women, you should live independent of men. And, and so men and women are just at odds with one another. We watch abortion numbers that are unfathomable. And today we watch the fact that, oh, I won't go into the details with the partial birth abortion, that it is beyond the comprehension for any of us that grew up in the 60s. It is such a vile act that it is numbing people what is happening with abortion. Violent crime, I looked up the statistics, it ebbs and flows, but the reality of it is, is violent crime is still amongst us. You look at the fact of sexual sins, and I won't go into the details, but they are beyond the pale. Where even today, any of you got the newspaper today and read our headline about human trafficking and, and where it's so prominent in our country? It's here in Northwest Indiana. It's here in Northwest Indiana. We all have cell phones where on this device, have access to some of the most wicked things that the world can see. We give these to our children, and we know that they get access to them. What is happening is just beyond comprehension. The fact that there are people who post pictures constantly of themselves in inappropriate situations up on the internet, and it's almost like you talk about sin becoming ripe. We should shudder. And yet, because it's so much, it just becomes numbing. We have politics where politicians used to be called statesmen. And what we most call, it doesn't matter what side you're on, we're just looking at most politicians, we call them what? Liars. There's no trust in the po political people of the day. And then we watch media that just lies and lies and lies and lies. I watched, and I'll say it, I watched a CNN special, I mean, a, a Fox News special. I don't usually watch Fox News, but they did an expose on how CNN just twisted a report and prepped a, a, a man to go on and, and give a twisted lie. And I thought to myself, it doesn't matter if CNN then turned around and did it to Fox. It's just the very fact that this is now going on. So, yes. I don't know how God knows how ripe sin is, but you need to look at verse 15, for put in your sickle and reap for the hour has come because the harvest of the earth is ripe. How much more ripe does it have to get? I mean, I'm seeing things that I can't even begin to believe what's happening. We're watching things that are just beyond the pale, if using that expression right. So yes, God is looking at the earth and he's saying, I believe he's gotta be thinking it's gotta be right. And if it's gotta go more, then I'm, I'm wondering how much more. Next reason, fill in the blank with the word beheading. I think you might find this interesting. Go over to Revelation chapter 20. In the Bible, in the tribulation, we know, we know that a lot of Christians, not, I want to say believers, die. Remember, after Revelation 4, the church isn't mentioned. So instead of saying church people, the description always is for people that would be maybe the righteous or, or you know, maybe in Matthew it might talk about the elect. Terms that could be descriptive of any age. Well, I believe we're going to see the people that go through the tribulation 
as we see in Revelation 7, you can jot this down, as well as Revelation 13, the killings by the Antichrist, they're going to die. But it's in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, that we get some insight into how they die. So Revelation chapter 20 comes at the end. We have had the end of the tribulation. We are going into the thousand-year reign. And John writes this in verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been what? Beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark of their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. These people that are noted as dying, I believe, in the tribulation, we're told they're being beheaded. And it's been something that's greatly perplexed me because we live in a day and age when, my goodness, if I was going to do mass killing, I would use guns. I would use some other type of maybe massive bomb. Why in the world are these people being beheaded? It's always been something that's perplexed me because beheading doesn't seem to be that prominent. And then lastly, so what have I, what, what's been happening? What has been different over the past few years? And let me just tell you two things. Number one is I have seen more and more Muslims behead Christians, haven't you? You've seen the videos where Christians are lined up on the beach. These Muslims that are against them have come out with these swords, and sometimes it's been graphically shown. I can't stand to watch it, but I've been amazed at the graphic nature and the fact that they are doing what? They've been beheading these people. And so I'm thinking to myself, maybe this is on the rise in the sense that it's going to be more and more, is that this is the way they, wanna, they want to bring about the end of, of people who are followers of God, the Christians. And during the tribulation, now that they've got these swords going, this whole concept going, it's going to just take off. And that's a possibility. But let me just tell you what I also think. And this is something I have taught for many, many years. I truly think with the past COVID I have held for many years that part of what happens in the tribulation is that the mark that the Antichrist gives is tied to some type of vaccine. And I, I put this as speculation, and I put this out there, but I'm telling you what, is, what I've often felt is that you, for some reason, it's always bothered me, why would people behead people around the world? Now, obviously, the Antichrist could be saying, hey, you know, these people who are against, against me, they're not taking my mark, we need to kill them, and, you know, are, maybe they're out of bullets. Maybe because of the chaos of everything, they're all out of bombs to, to mass, massively kill people. But I think there has to be, in my mind, a reasonable explanation, and I think we've seen it as COVID has played out. Let me just tell you what I've been thinking. I've often thought... What has happened is if there was some type of pandemic going on and people were all of a sudden freaking out, oh, my neighbor isn't taking the mark and because of he's not taking the mark, he's contagious. And because he's going to be contagious, I can't let him continue to live. And, and if the authorities come, then all of a sudden and they, they have to take him away and quickly kill him and take his head off, I'm all for it. And now during the past few months, what have we seen? What have we seen? We have seen people report their neighbors because their neighbors have kids that are playing on public swing sets. 
It's incredible. In our area alone, police have called the police on children who are out in May and June because they were on swing sets. How dare these children be out on swing sets? We can't have this. And those other police are called. The police are called if people aren't wearing masks. We've heard of people in, 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 in businesses getting into fights because somebody sees someone in a store and they don't have a mask on. And, and they're ready to fight them. And, and, and we have had people call the police because someone's neighbor is having a backyard barbecue and they have got too many people in that backyard barbecue and so the police are called. And you say to yourself, how could neighbors turn on people like this? Well, because there's such incredible fear. There's a fear that the pandemic is gonna spread and, and it's fully justified for me to turn in my neighborhood, my neighbor. My goodness, we have even had a politician to cry. If you're not wearing a mask, we are gonna... Con- we're going to enter a law that you're charged with murder, murder for not wearing a mask. You got to tell me that I think this is something that is going to fit perfectly with the beheading. So just, it's, that's my speculation, but beheading is going to be prominent in the tribulation. And I think what we're watching is the seeds as to why people would be justified for killing their neighbors in such a way. Next reason. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 25. This, uh, this next reason, fill in the blank with anti-Semitism. This is critical that you understand that in the book, in the Bible, the tribulation is a time of incredible judgment upon the Jewish people. We're gonna turn to Matthew 25, and this is a passage that is often taken out of context. This is a passage that many of you get letters from missions groups. You know, let's take care of children, and and if any of you give them a drink, you'll be honored in heaven, okay? Well, what I want you to understand is based upon, and we're not gonna take you to these passages, we've already looked at these. Israel is to be regathered into the land. We've already studied that. That's one of the reasons we think we're close, because it was supposed to happen in the tribulation, but it's already happened. But this passage right here, Ezekiel 20, verse 37, talks about them going underneath a bar. And it was a judgment that the people that were passed through would be judged. And we saw in Zechariah 13, 8, that two-thirds of every Jewish person will be killed in the tribulation. We have watched in the 1940s an incredible holocaust. We have watched Jewish, Jewish people be persecuted throughout history. And yet, I have said, nothing like has ever existed will happen in the tribulation. It is anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism against the Jews is is happening in the tribulation in an unprecedented way. That is why in Matthew 24, at the abomination of desolation, the Jews are going to flee to what I hold as Petra, Bozrah in the Bible. They are going to flee because the Antichrist is turning on them. Zechariah 13, 8 says two-thirds of every Jew will die in the tribulation because it's their judgment. They have rejected the Messiah and God has said, fine, I'm going to bring you to your knees. I'm going to bring you to the end of yourself. And you say, God, that is an incredible harshness. And I agree. But God is using the hatred of the world for the Jews during the tribulation to bring them who will survive 
to salvation. So if you know any Jewish person alive right now, if the tribulation would start and they're not saved, they go into the tribulation, two-thirds of every Jewish person will die. And remember, the Antichrist is gathering Israel, gathering the Jews back to Israel so he can have all the Jews in one place so that he can kill them. It's all part of the lie. So where does this come into? What does anti-Semitism have to do with this? Remember, anti-Semitism is an expression that came out of German writings from the 19th century. The Germans were writing about how the Aryan race were better than the Semitic people, the people who were descendants of, of, of Shem, Noah's son, Shem. And as they went back and forth and they wrote in the 19th century and they focused on how the people who were Semitics would be the Jews and the Arabs, were inferior to the, to the Aryans, eventually it just got focused on the Jewish people. And so when you say anti-Semite or anti-Semitic, it's focused not just on all the descendants of Shem, it's just focused on the Jewish people. And so that's, it came out of the 19th century writings. Well, look at this passage in Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, we're gonna pick up in verse 31. And it says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and on the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for, from the foundation of the world. Now, we believe this is the, the kingdom that God has promised the Jews. This is the millennial kingdom of, of Daniel, I mean, of Revelation 20. This is, the great, this is the great judgment of the sheep and goat. Jesus Christ has come back, and think about this. You have survived through the tribulation, but we know that now as he separates, the sheep are the good ones. They get to go into the kingdom. The goats, based upon... Re, Revelation 19, are all going to be killed. Now, we know we're not saved by works, but works show that we're saved. It doesn't matter what eerie that you live. Now, follow this and listen as this goes. So, verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger, and you invited me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Now listen, again, that's the line that's often used on these mission letters. But it is not about life now. It's about life in the tribulation when it was something to take a risk to go and I believe to support a Jewish person, to follow and support maybe any follower of God, but especially the Jewish people, because they are being persecuted. As Zechariah says, two-thirds of every Jew is being killed. They, are, they have fled to Petra. And so if you stand up and you go and you help a Jewish person, it will be maybe to your death. So listen, verse 36, naked, naked and you clothed me, and I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did you see a stranger and invite, and, and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? 
The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to the least of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, the accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked or, or, or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, again, this is in the context, the end of the tribulation. This is the end. And I believe he's been describing the time period during that time. Would you stick your neck out? Well, I believe anti-Semitism will become like it's never been exhibited before. It will happen in the tribulation. Now, here's the interesting thing. As we are living in 2020, you would think that after a history of seeing what happened in the 1940s, after seeing long histories of Jewish persecution, that this would be enough. But yet, and I found an article this week, anti-Semitic incidents surged in 2019. The Anti-Defamation League reported more than 2,100 anti-Semitic incidents in the United States alone, a 12% jump and the most in any year since it began tracking them. A record number of anti-Semitic incidences were reported in the United States last year. The article goes on to say more than any year since the Anti-Defamation League began tracking them four decades ago. And then it goes on to cite it, the, the specifics, and then I found other articles that were saying the same thing. There seems to be an incredible hatred for the Jews, and even this past week, I read articles on how the Jews are responsible for COVID and how we need to punish them. And it's like incomprehensible that they would blame the Jews for COVID, and yet that's what's happening. It's not going to just come up in the middle of the tribulation, I think. We're seeing it now. We are seeing a rise in anti-Semitism worldwide that will flow right in, fit right in with the end times. Then lastly, turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5. So, so far, this is what we've seen. We've seen a rightness, I believe, on the rise. We are seeing beheading come back as a way to kill people today, and maybe even a reason why it's going to fit all the more in the end times. We're seeing a rise of anti-Semitism worldwide, and now fill in the blank there's a cry for peace and safety. This is something we've talked about before. If you turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it's a text of Scripture where the Apostle Paul has been talking about end times. He's just talked about the rapture in chapter 4. And then he says the, this famous line in 1 Thessalonians 5.1. Now as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. We're talking about end times here. And he says, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. The day of the Lord, the time of the tribulation, the time of God's judgment that is going to come upon the world, it's going to come upon the Jews, is going to come very unexpectedly. The world isn't going to think it's coming. Now, here's the surprise. Because he says, for you yourselves know full well the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night while they are saying what? Peace and safety. 
Then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. They're gonna be claiming peace and safety. They're gonna think they finally achieved it. This is what they're striving for. Now, I've already talked to you about how there's always this pressure upon Israel and the Arabs to make peace and we saw a peace treaty in the past month and, and we're, the world wants peace. We're to be people who are prepared we have to know when the world thinks that it is going for this and it's going to get it, that it's not going to get it. It's all going to be a lie. Because remember, the Antichrist is lying. We know that. I think it's in, from the book of Daniel that they lie to one another. He lies, he lies, he lies. And so the peace and safety is uh, the sealed judgment. The passage in Ezekiel 38 that talks about how Israel finally drops all their guard and they think that they're finally safe because they've signed this peace treaty that Daniel 9, 26 and 27 talks about. They think they're fine. But look at verse 9. But God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think we're going to be here. I've shown you this before. Some of you have seen it. Some of you haven't. But what I want you to understand, now you You've got to look at this. And I want you, maybe if you have a written Bible, you write that this book was written in maybe 51, 52 AD. And he said that people will be clamoring for peace and safety. Some of your Bibles have peace and security. I'm going to show you a video, and it uses peace and security, but it's the exact same thing. Here we are in the year 2020, and this video montage I'm showing you is over the last 20 years. You can't make this stuff up. Don't be unprepared. Watch this. The objective is to have a Palestinian state on the borders of 1967 that will live in peace and security. The lesson of history is that peace and security do not come easily. Peace and stability uh, that uh, people on all sides long for. Two states for two peoples living side by side in peace and security is not a vague slogan, but a real necessary necessity for the stability in the entire region. Israel and Palestinians, they can live side by side in peace and security. This is our uh, vision and this is our uh, commitment. For a new deal, peace and security and friendship. My hopes and dreams for Israel are to live in peace, to live in peace and security. Two states living side by side in peace and security true security for all Israelis, we will also pursue peace between Israel and Lebanon, in peace and security, Israel and Syria, peace and security, and a broader peace between Israel and its many neighbors. Must decide whether we are serious about peace and security, to recognize Israel's legitimacy and its right to exist in peace and security. That's how we will find new pathways to peace and security. That is the work that we must do. In peace and security peace and security and, and coexistence. A movement towards peace. If we have this triangle, economy, 
security, and peace, then peace can succeed. I just want you to understand, it's not a coincidence. It's, only, it's not like I gave him a script and said, hey, will you read 1 Thessalonians 5, 3? Will you keep reading this over and over and keep saying this? This is the cry of all these religious leaders. I don't think anybody up there was the Antichrist. I don't think it was. I'm just saying this was the cry of every political leader over the last 20 years. And so I'm just challenging you to be ready. I think we are living in exciting days. I've just gone through 14 different reasons why I think we're near. I could be wrong in the sense because it could be another 100 years. But I think if, you're, if I'm wrong and you live more on edge, you live more ready, then all you're going to do is get more reward. But I want you to think about this. If you're not prepared, it's worse than messing up your wedding vows. You mess up wedding vows, people laugh. The pastor comes in and he has wedding vows to help you with. You mess up with Jesus Christ. Listen to this passage from 1 John 2. 1 John 2, verse 28. Now little children, abide in him. Abide in Jesus. Stay faithful with Jesus so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. When Jesus Christ comes, some of your Bibles explicitly say, don't be embarrassed. Don't shrink away embarrassed. Make sure you are ready. And so let me end this study with these very appropriate words. If you're already there in 1 Thessalonians, just jump over to chapter 4, verse 13. But we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will grieve as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So my comfort is that Jesus Christ is coming back. The day of the Lord isn't going to overtake us like a thief. I want us to be prepared. The first thing you have to do is to make sure you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And that's my hope and desire that everyone here is. And then second, start challenging yourself about prayer, giving, serving, all the things that you need to be doing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we've been able to take time over the past few months to study end times. I don't know how many unbelievers have sat through this, but I hope that they see where our world is going. That it's not an accident that these things that you talked about 2,000 years ago are happening today. That you know where all of history is going. And yet, people still reject you. And we know that in the tribulation, the majority of the world will thumb their nose at you. But perhaps there's a heart here today, a heart of one that looks at this and finally they're starting to realize how important it is to give up their will, to give up what they fight for sinfully. And their eyes will, are being opened, God. Oh, how I pray that right now they'll just call out, Lord, forgive me. 
I've sinned. I no longer want to be in control of my life. I can't believe the incredible offer that you died for the penalty that I deserved. Take over my life. Take control of my life. Come inside me and have me live differently. I believe that you were God and man and you died and that you rose again and there's a hope for me. A hope not of this world, but a hope when you're going to wipe away every tear. When you bring in your kingdom. Lord, I renounce all of my good works. I renounce me doing this on my own effort. I admit I'm helpless and I can't change myself. I've tried to even maybe perhaps live good and it just doesn't work. I just humbly trust now and turn to you in faith. Change me. For us who are believers in Jesus Christ, it is so easy to be caught up in a world today that even despite all the chaos, still has a lot to offer us. A lot of materialism, a lot of pleasure, a lot of things where we can just go into our houses, shut our doors, put on our cable TV, put, pop in our video games, and we can just live excluding what's going on with the world. Oh God, help us to be a people that cares for our neighbor, to recognize we are our neighbor's keeper. Help us to be a people that really go to work for you because the time is near. It is my heart's desire that as the shepherd of these people that I'm preparing them to face you and none will shrink away in, in embarrassment. And so God, whatever you have to do to cause them to be more diligent in their service, whatever verses, whatever ways to bring to mind, I pray that you do. I pray, Lord, that as we look back on this text, and yeah, we can speculate about COVID being the answer or some other things, but the reality of it is, God, all of these 14 things are events within the tribulation and the beheading and the peace and safety and the reality of, of Israel coming back in the land are just all part and parcel of what's gonna happen one day, and yet we're seeing so much of it now. Help us, God, to be people who are alert and not asleep. In Jesus' name, amen.